0: Hey, Courtney, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hello, Beth. So good to be here talking with you today. I missed you. (laughs) I know. I I mean, this is your second time on the show, and I'm going to tell you, it's probably not going to be just your second. I'm sure you're going to come back for third and fourth, because there's always (laughs) topics that I'm like, I just want to have Courtney on, and let's talk about this. So (laughs) Courtney is from the All Access Classroom, and I am just super excited to have you here today, kind of breaking down something that i see as a really powerful helpful tool but there's a lot of hindrances and barriers to figuring out how to use it. So today Courtney's going to be sharing with us about how to use the proficiency level descriptors from WIDA and i know those who are listening they're like oh i'm not a wida state i don't do it with wida. You know don't tune out this is really <laughs> helpful and really important to you because these things you can grab them they're free and i think after today's episode you're going to see how useful they are. So Courtney, let's dive right in. Why don't you share a little bit about what are these proficiency level descriptors and give us a breakdown of what those are?
1: Yes. I know it's a mouthful, so you might hear me say, I I have found this to be an incredibly useful tool. And again, it is free on WIDA's resource library website if you want to check it out. The PLDs, it's part of the 2020 English Language Development Standards that WIDA released, which is an incredible, well-researched, well-organized tool, resource that we can use, whether we are language specialists, whether we are gen ed content area teachers, is just an incredible resource that we can use to really help us assess the proficiency levels of our students And make goals, you know, to to know what their next steps are. And I think that's where the the PLDs really can be helpful to us. It's an incredible resource. It can be really complex and kind of overwhelming (laughs) upon your first initial introduction to it. But if you just can learn how to navigate it and kind of understand the components, it can become a really helpful tool.
0: I think I heard a hallelujah on the what to do with the next steps because I know that that's a struggle of so many people of just like, okay, I have the access scores, but now we're in the middle of the year and are these really valid, valid? And are they really at this level still? Or how do I check in on their language proficiency level and do it really quick so I can have a good understanding and I can plan what the next steps are for support? So that's why I think these are really helpful.
1: Exactly. I remember when I taught third grade, my multilingual learner specialist would bring the WIDA access score report, which is similar to those states that are not WIDA states. I think every everyone will receive at some point some sort of report that indicates where our learners are in their proficiency in different language modalities, right? Mm-hmm. Speaking, reading, writing, and listening. And uh, <laughs> I remember... That cheat very quickly would end up at the bottom of some pile, and I just would never <laughs> look at it again. I'd give it a glance and be like, yeah, "Okay, cool. I've got fifty bajillion <laughs> other things to do, right?" So this is the challenge: is like, how can we keep our our students' levels and and needs on every teacher's radar who works with that student and enable this data, this knowledge, this understanding to actually have meaning as part of the instructional process, right? That's the whole goal is that we don't just do things to do them. We're not just wasting time checking boxes just to say we did a certain thing, right? The whole point of of this tool of the proficiency level descriptors and, and really all the elements of the WIDA standards, is that there is some kind of implication that we can take on and recognize for our own teaching. So we used to have what's called performance definitions, and that was for K-12, grades K-12, and, and they helped us to understand what students' language abilities look like at, at different levels of proficiency, level one through level six. And those were great, but I think many people recognize that sometimes those um, abilities can really look different depending on what grade the student is at. So what WIDA has done in the lovely PLDs is they've broken up um, these performance definitions or a look at what students language looks like at different proficiency levels. They've broken it down by grade level c- clusters for us, which is so lovely because if you're teaching kindergarten, you have your own grade level cluster resource to look at and refer to versus if you're an eighth grade teacher, yours might look different. So I really like that they have kind of expanded and, and defined with a bit more clarity what students' language looks like at different levels. And I'll just kind of, if you want, give a little overview of when once you're looking at your PLDs, how to understand wh- what do I have here in front of yes. me. Right? Yes, please do. We'd love that. <laughs> and if you're listening to this podcast, I really encourage you to push pause for a minute And Google WIDA Resource Library proficiency level descriptors. It will quickly guide you to where you need to go to download this for free. So you can look at what we're talking about today. So what WIDA has done is they... For each grade-level cluster, there's two pages that you will find. One is for the expressive modality of language, which includes speaking, writing, and representing. And then the other page will be for the interpretive skills of language, which is listening, reading, and viewing. And these are really important to distinguish because... Students may be in a different place, as we know, as they are on their journey of learning language. They're not necessarily going to be at the same exact proficiency level and in the same exact place in every single language modality. So yeah. we need to be able to assess and, and just have kind of a way of separating out those skills so we know exactly what to target in our instruction. So let's say that you are looking at the grade 2-3 page. Uh, that that grade level cluster page, and you're looking at the expressive communication mode page. So if you have this in front of you, you will see that they have broken it down into different criteria. So we have discourse, which is basically just like thinking about how students are organizing um, the language that they're using. So again, we're we're looking at they're talking about the expressive, so speak, mainly speaking and writing. So mm-hmm. how students are organizing what they're saying or what they're writing around a topic. Um, we're thinking also about how they're using linking or connecting words to provide some cohesion to that language production, and we're also thinking about how they might be elaborating. The, the language that they're using to provide more, more detail and, and more information, right? So that's the discourse um, criteria. We'll mm-hmm. also be looking at the sentence level criteria. And this is really identifying how are students using sentence structure or varied types of sentences to communicate. And then last, we have the word or the phrase criteria. And this is mostly just talking about how students are using vocabulary to give their language more precision and kind of describe with more definition what they want to communicate, right? So those are our main criteria. And then next to each of those criteria, we see a, a column for each of the language levels. So for example, if we're looking at the word or phrase criteria, Next to level one, I'm looking at it right now. It says few frequently used words and phrases with emerging precision Mm. versus if I scooch over to by the end of level four, still talking about word or phrase criteria, um, I see a growing repertoire of words and phrases with growing precision. And they have some examples next to each one. So this is kind of how it's organized. Mm -hmm. Um, It can look like a lot at first. But again, if you just zoom right to your grade level cluster that you're working with and make the selection, what information do I need to be identifying? My students interpretive or expressive skills and pick the page you need. Then you're really only looking at one page, one chart. So if it seems overwhelming, just know that very quickly you can Identify, you know, the the single page that you need um, to do what you're going to do, and we're going to talk about like what do you do with this? (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly, because I know I think that's such a good point,
0: Courtney. Is it, it looks overwhelming, it can feel overwhelming, but really you just zoom in, and I think it's really that's a vital piece to really decipher and decide of what are you observing and seeing if it is a listening and reading skill or if it is a speaking and writing skill, and not. Intermixing that because I think when we're not clear on that and when our students aren't clear on it of what we're really assessing or observing, then that's when we really get kind of mixed results because we're not really defining what are we looking for. And so I think if you if you don't have this pulled up in front of you, it might sound like, okay, this looks, you know, like I'm not a chart person, I don't know if I can handle it. You can because I think once you realize you have these parameters and you have these check in points. Then you're going to be able to observe your students and assess your students and see where they fall in that and have clear expectations. I think that's one of the best things about these is so often it is it is so hard to pinpoint where your students are at in their language proficiency. And so I think sometimes we either set too high of expectations and we don't provide the scaffolds they need or we over-scaffold and really they're ready to keep moving forward and we're preventing them from moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so having something like this, you know, I'm even looking right here, like for grammatical complexity for here, for level one, it's saying sentence fragments, you know, for level two, it's saying sentence fragments and emerging use of simple sentences for level three, simple sentences. Now this is giving me such a clear idea of where should these students be at in terms of grammatical complexity. And now I can I can support them with what's expected of them at that language level. So that's, I think these are so yeah. helpful in that aspect.
1: Absolutely. And just, you know, as a ML specialist, I, you know, the especially the past few years, I've had this kind of lingering sense of guilt in the back of my mind that I didn't really actively recognize, but I think it was there because I always, every year felt like, I was giving my colleagues that worked with my with our multilingual learners a sheet that had, you know, okay, in speaking, they're level two. And I wasn't even fully knowledgeable about what that meant to explain yeah. it to my colleagues so that they could fully understand it. It was kind of just like this... You know, unfortunately, often these become labels like, oh, well, she's a level two, you know. But what does that mean? I think Mm -hmm. it's the big question that we need to ask. And this resource really helps, as you said give that definition that we need so we know what we're talking about and we can actually make uh productive um steps forward uh, yes. in in our instruction with these students so yes
0: and that, and that is it right there we want we don't want to waste any more precious time we want to have a good pulse on our students and and see when mid year they're they're already showing they're at the end of level 3 in you know speaking okay let's move them forward instead of waiting for the access results so that brings us right into Courtney. Why don't you share some ways that you could see teachers practically using these as they lesson plan and teach and provide support for their multilingual learners?
1: I don't want overwhelmed to keep people from using this incredible tool. Yeah. So I've been thinking a lot about, okay, how can we put this to use day-to-day in the classroom? So there's kind of three things that in my mind, I've, I've kind of broken it down to three uses for the PLDs. And those are to help us monitor student growth, to help us to educate our our colleagues and and advocate by increasing understanding of students' proficiency levels. uh, And also, of course, to help us differentiate instruction that's given to our students, helping us define how much scaffolding, how much support are they needing to provide both support and rigor, right? So when we're talking about, let's say, monitoring student progress, there's lots of ways it could look. And what's important is that you utilize it in the way that fits you and your school context and your colleagues' needs and the way that your program runs, right? So, you know, for example, if you are at the table in as part of the MTSS or the tier process in supporting students, and one of them is a student who is a multilingual learner, Oftentimes, I think we sit at these tables and have, and I'm speaking for myself here, somewhat vague information to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of hard data. Yeah. And what this PLD resource is giving us is a means to provide that data, right? Yeah. So yeah. we can help, you know, clearly demonstrate this student is growing in language and Here are the areas in which they're growing. It can help us to evaluate student work. We can use this as a tool. If we gather student work in a portfolio, we can use this to help assess where they are in their growth. Maybe we have, even as, you know, ELD teachers or ML teachers, if we want to ourselves have some goals that are specific to our learners, we can use this as a tool to help us understand what those goals need to be instead of just... She'll get better at speaking. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> it will help give us, you know, some actual meat to our instruction that is relevant and applies specifically to individual students. Right. Um, and something cool too is that we can use it depending on you know the age and readiness of our students to help them participate yep. in that process and understand their own growth goals and self-monitor um, as they as they progress. So that's kind of like how we can use it to help them monitor. I think um, that's a really great point Courtney of
0: especially with older students of bringing them in on this because I think that it's it's so often felt whether it's said or not that it's either, you know, you're new to learning English and then you're proficient and we don't really show our students all the steps it takes to continue on the language journey. Mm-hmm. And I think when they can see, okay, I'm right here, I'm I'm using fragments I'm working towards using simple sentences. What's it, you know, giving them modeling simple sentences, showing them here's your expectation. Let's work on this. I'm going to support you in this. Especially those older students, it really helps them have that next stepping stone instead of feeling like, mm-hmm. I'm never, I'm never going to get there. Like I'm just not going to become fluent, you know, because I'm that's so far away from where I yeah.
1: am. Yeah. Yeah. And something I think I would love to do in the future if I have time is like make kind of a student version of this, that kind of pairs it down to exemplars Mm -hmm. that we can show them. Here's what a bit of language looks like when you're at this level, or here's what a sentence looks like when you're at this, this proficiency level. Here's what your next step is, is we want to start writing sentences that look like this, right? or that include this kind of phrase oh guess what we're going to learn about that kind of phrase today so that we can you know elaborate your your sentences even more you know it's it's helping to make it the learning more visible for them right absolutely yes Um, I love it and then of course you know using this to help build teacher understanding around um language acquisition I mean for a lot of teachers, it's kind of this foggy, vague thing. And, and, you know, we're not all trained in language acquisition. This is a way that you can give people an inside look at the what, what that looks like, how language actually grows across these proficiency levels. It could be used also to communicate that to parents who are interested in being part of that process.
0: Mm. Um,
1: And then, of course, differentiation of our instruction for our learners. This is probably the one that could be the most impactful. As I work with gen ed teachers, a lot of times they want more understanding of what scaffolding needs to look like rather than just saying, you know, use sentence stems or, you know, more visuals. These are great Mm -hmm. things. but. What if we could empower them to be part of that language acquisition process for their own students to know, okay, I am going to provide this or that scaffold, but I know this about my my learner. And so the scaffold needs to be tweaked a little Mm, bit. It needs to be leveled up a little bit or paired back a little bit, you know, so that that rigor can be maintained and we can continue to help nudge our learners forward rather than, as you said, like maintaining kind of this fallback, um, you know, easy level of um, Mm -hmm. instruction that isn't challenging them to move forward in their language growth.
0: Yeah, I, I love all of that. I mean, I think that's why we wanted to have this episode, because these are really some incredible free tools. If you just take a little bit of time re-listen this episode while having it in front of you on your computer and then just get creative and start to see how you can incorporate these in your lesson planning, in your teaching, in your coaching um, with your students. And you can, I think you'll really see, you know, a dramatic difference in, I think just as a teacher, I think so many of us, when we don't know exactly what they need, that's where the overwhelm comes in. That's where we spend hours on the lesson plans because we're kind of like, well, wait, do they need this or this? There's so many needs, right? Just when you're when you teaching students language and content at the same time, there's a lot to cover. Um, mm-hmm. So this really helps to clarify and have a good pulse on what your students need. And, and it gives you that opportunity, I think, as a teacher to, again, going back to the same point, but just checking in on student progress. We need to be doing more of that because our time is precious with our students. And so we want to be shifting our lessons with what they need and not just labeling them. Like you said, of, okay, well, the student's a a level three and then, but what does that mean? I mean, that that does nothing to have this label on the student if it's not giving us some concrete things of how we can support them at that language level.
1: And I would say just if you're If you're looking at it and you're like overwhelmed, like, where do we even start? Like this, this could potentially take a lot of time. I hear you, my friend on that. Um, (laughs) What I would recommend doing if you're just dipping your toes in this is start by, you know, maybe gathering a a written work sample, let's Mm -hmm. say from your, your learner, maybe make a plan. I'm going to do this beginning of the year, middle of the year, end of the year, give them a prompt you know, un- unguided, unsupported, just a raw sample of what they can produce in writing. Yeah. Then use the expressive communication mode chart in the PLDs to kind of assess where they are in the different criteria of writing mm. and pinpoint what some specific goals might be for that student, right? Right. Then revisit mid year. How are they doing? What are the implications for instruction? And how can we spread understanding of those implications amongst all the teachers that work with the student so -hmm. that everybody's on the same page? This is a goal, these are the needs. Here are practical ways we can support the student in this one particular area. And friends, if, if it's too much to do with every single one of the MLs in your school, start really small. Start with what's possible and doable for you. Yeah. I recommended to a colleague um, a couple months ago, I was at a conference, and I said, hey, how about this? Start with maybe those students who you know are going to be part of the MTSS process and coming to tier meetings in mm-hmm. discussion of some significant learning needs that they have. And you're you're going to be at that table. You're going to be problem solving. What value would it have to bring this data to that table and say, hey, here's what we're noticing on the language end of things? You know, maybe just start with those students who you know are going to be discussed among several colleagues um, because those are students that you're going to need that information as part of those yeah. conversations. Right. So if it's too much to start with like every single student that you work with, which would be great, but I mean, we gotta be realistic too. Yeah. yeah. Very minimal. <laughs> a few people. is better than none. Right. right? <laughs> so just start with a few and then you can build from there. But I th- I think what's important is that we don't we don't become so overwhelmed that there's kind of a shutdown or or significant resistance to utilizing what really is such a valuable tool. So that would be my my encouragement. <laughs> that is no, that's really helpful. Just some next steps to take. I think that's
0: it's so good. You know, narrow in on your grade level. Narrow in on one in you know expressive would be easier to do a writing or a speaking sample and start there. So I love that. Thank you so much, Courtney, for sharing this with us.
1: Tell my listeners where they can find out more about you. So I am at theallaccessclassroom.com. No no dashes or anything. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at theallaccessclassroom. I have an online course that uh, I love to invite teachers into um, that kind of equips them to know how to provide accessible instruction to our MLs. I would love to share, if I may, Beth, a couple of tools that I made specifically to help us understand the PLDs a little bit better, kind of like a cheat sheet, if you will, (laughs) a little chart that I made. And also a form for tracking progress across the four quarters of the school year. And I also have a language objectives guide. I think this the PLD resource really can help to inform the language objectives that we mm-hmm. utilize that align with our content objectives in the gen ed classroom. And I want to help equip my colleagues listening as much as possible. So I'd like to share that as well. Yeah. So come find me. Come hang yes. out. We have fun. Courtney is
0: just an incredible at breaking things down, making super complicated things like PLDs something really manageable and action steps forward. So thank you so much for your time. And we will post all those links in the show notes below. So go and check her out. Follow her, send her a message on Instagram and learn more from Courtney. Thank you so much for joining us today, Courtney. Thank you, Beth. It's been fun. We will s- hopefully see you again soon, right? Oh, Maybe absolutely. A, a yearly thing. So <laughs> You're my all right. All right. <laughs> Bye for now. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.